amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a French Village podcast. I'm here with my brilliant friend, Benjamin Wittes. We have watched three episodes, not two, three episodes uh, of season six because we are going to do these in three episode chunks. So I hope for those of you who are actually watching the show along with us, I hope you also watch three episodes because if you didn't, spoilers ahead. And if you didn't, turn it off now, go watch that third episode and then come back because we're going to we're going to spoil all kinds of things starting right now. This, you know, like Gustave shooting somebody in broad daylight in the streets. Um, you know, Leonore gets introduced. Uh, she'd only been a vanishing character, and then she's um she's off gallivanting with with criminal Gustave. I mean, it, this is a you know shocking stuff going on in these episodes. Okay, so I'm going to hit you with a formulation and I'm going to see if I can pack uh pack everything back into it. But I want to I want to I want to try to say that one of the things that's interesting about these episodes is that they tend to be inverting our good guys and our bad guys, right? So Gustav has been one of those people were rooting for Gustav. Gustav's got a tough, tough life with his commie dad. His mom is dead. Um, you know, he's been doing his best uh, on his own with his uncle and his narcissistic aunt. Um, and now he is a thief and part of the uh, Servier nephew crime ring. Uh, and, you know, they're making him, they're doing the, what is that, the, the gang initiation of him having to, to kill an American soldier who's ratted on them. Um, but he's not the only one. We'll dig into that. But but also, you know, we're we're really going through the court uh process with Daniel Larche. So we are being reminded of all of his worst hits. Um, and so one of our our good guys and Daniel is is struggling with a few things that we'll talk about. Um, and then some of our uh, you know, Barrio is um is is uh, is is behaving in a way that I think is slightly contra to the nice guy that we have come to know. He, he, uh, what he he's he's breaching no dissent from Lucienne on any point that might uh, impact his career. And who else? Uh, and then we're seeing, but then we're seeing redemption for our bad guys like Janine. Yeah, Janine has carved a place for herself in respectable society as we always knew she would <laughs> um, you know like like hortense you know is going mad and is listening through the walls with stethoscopes but janine is just fine she but, is but, the, but the I coldest guess, of the cold-blooded yeah i can't wait to talk about her but here here's i guess do you agree with my overall premise this idea of like this inversion of the the good guys are kind of in a tough place and the bad guys are uh, seem to be thriving in many ways? Some. I mean, obviously, Servier is not thriving. And, Great point. But yeah, I, I think there are, the, the justice is really rough. You know, 
Mueller seems to be doing pretty well until he gets arrested, but he's got the Americans on his side. Uh, and, um, and like, I think some people, particularly Hortense, are, are suffering for their crimes, uh, and some people are not. And some, some of the good guys, like Anselm, is really hitting hard times. And so there's a, a very uneven distribution of justice. And, you know, for some people, the war was good. And for some people, it was terrible. And that's true of the aftermath of the war, too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, we've always said that the the reason to watch this show one of the main reasons, I mean, it's a great show, but but one of the reasons is that uh, it is a meditation on complicity and and also on, yeah, the uneven distribution of justice, uh, which I think in some ways can inform our current political environment, certainly uh, a couple of years ago, that political environment. And I think we are, but we are in the meditating on complicity part. <laughs> like we are in the justice uh, seeking part. And I think... Um, the the this uneven application is very much at the fore of of what we're sort of being shown about how, how everything is netting out for people. Um, so let's know, what, start with the yeah. trial. Let's I mean, start with the trial. Yep. We have we have two people on trial, both of whom are actually collaborators, but who are morally quite different, um, and both of whom present defenses. Um, let's let's assess let's like what is the right answer let's should we do larche first yeah he's our main character let's do him so how do you at the end of the day assess danielle larche should i make the case for the defense or the prosecution Mm -hmm. uh well one of the prosecution's more interesting i think we all know why we want to defend daniel larche um but the I, I think that one of the things that's interesting about watching these scenes is once, because this is what this is what happens when you're on trial, is it is just an accumulation of the things you did wrong. It is not all of the things that we saw Daniel do right through the breadth of the show that we take into account. They're just hitting him with the things he did uh, that were part of his collaboration. And so do the prosecution. All right. So this is uh, the mayor of the town. He gets elevated. Um, because the other mayor flees. Um, he is um, uh, a collaborator from the beginning. Um, he is involved in, although they don't know how involved he, he is, in uh, the hostage selection. He, they don't know that he helps prepare the list, although the prosecutor suspects, but he's actually guiltier than the evidence uh, suggests uh, he is involved in the uh, roundup of Jews in the summer of '42, uh, and though he piously resigns rather than participate, he in fact participates. He helps and uh, and mostly by way of trying to ensure their comfort, but um, uh, but he does assist. And then, uh, though he resigns in protest, he comes back as mayor a few days later, um, 
Uh, and so, you know, he survives as mayor the summer of 42. He apparently is not an informer, but he has sufficiently close relations, notwithstanding the document, but he has sufficiently close relations with the Gestapo chieftain uh, with whom his wife is sleeping that he, that uh, he, uh, the Gestapo chieftain intervenes to prevent him from being shot and getting him released. And yeah, that's, that's the case, right? And uh, while he eventually steps down, uh, he steps down kind of after, uh, you know, actually stuff they don't know. He continues to treat German soldiers up until the last few days of the, of the occupation. Um, and he never firmly aligns himself with the resistance, even after the militia captures him and beats him. Yeah, so this is the hardest thing about assessing the complicity of Daniel Larche is that Daniel makes at every instance, we've talked about this before, but in every instance that Daniel's in, Daniel makes the decision to try to give aid and comfort to the person in front of him. He is decent to people. He treats everyone as a human. Uh, but as Sarah accuses him in maybe the second season, maybe the third, she says, it's people like you who just go along. And Daniel is one of these people who always sees the trees and misses the forest. He could never see the bigger moral picture of what was happening. And I would say that as he's being judged, there's a moment um, in these three episodes where Daniel says, maybe we were, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we did this. You know, he, he is also looking back now with the hindsight of not being in the moment and thinking, I did miss the bigger moral picture. And this is, to me, what is always so interesting about the contrast of Daniel and then often the communists uh, and even and Marcel in earlier seasons, right, is they make a lot of very individual poor decisions, immoral decisions. They kill people, um, but they their bigger moral picture was correct. And so they were always mirror images in that way. Um, and it's it's hard, it's so hard to judge Daniel because you've watched him do right by everybody he's encountered uh, and make usually what is the best available decision to him in the moment, except that he never took that complete step of understanding that the moment demanded so much more of him. Like, the, the school is a perfect example where he is trying to make people more comfortable. He is trying to help their immediate situation. He is attending to people um, who are sick or hurt. Uh, he is yelling at Servier and other people for their treatment. But at no point, and he says this in the trial, he sort of pounds on the whatever table or something and says, I didn't know. And, you know, everybody now has the benefit of hindsight. So the prosecutor is saying, how couldn't you? How did you? Of course you knew. How could you have not known? And it's true, he didn't know, but it was all around him to know, right? Like, you you could have seen if you looked, and there were people who did. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. Danielle is always honorable, right? And so his when he's confronted by the rich Jew, uh, who I don't think we know his name, who tried to... Uh, Goldman's. Give, Goldman's? Yeah. 
um, who tried to, you know, uh, who, who had all kinds of nice food and uh, at the school and tried to bribe him, uh, you know, he rejects the bribe, which, of course, is right on the terms that he means it, right, which is why should you get out just because you have money? Um, on the other hand, you know, Goldman's, who was a real asshole in the in the um, uh, in the school, you know, is not wrong that hey, you can sign my family to be killed, um, and uh, I'm the only one who survived. Um, so, I mean, there's a there's a limit, and this is of course Sarah Meyer's point to him too. You know, there's a point at which personal decency, as you just said, is not adequate. And, you know, and he never seems to really understand that, even at his own trial. He, um, and I think there were probably a lot of officials who, um, you know, for whom that was something of a reality that they, you know, they small board everything into the individual decisions before that. And there's, and there's of course, a historical accuracy to Larche, who, you know, Vichy sort of starts falling apart in 43, um, or, you know, like lost a huge amount of credibility in the summer of 42 because of the roundups. And then, over the course of 43, particularly with the forced labor, uh, which, as the show depicts, sent huge numbers of male kids into the forests, into these kind of resistancy camps, uh, the, like, it lost all the credibility with the Danielle Larches of the world that it had. And so, you know, a lot of them sort of stepped down in that period of time and kind of realigned themselves with, with the free French. And that's very well depicted in the Raymond Schwartz case, right? Or somebody who, like, is basically a collaborator until 42, 43. And then he's like, okay, I'm throwing my lot in with the other side. That was a very sort of common thing. And, you know, Larche kind of gets it in the sense that he doesn't continue to serve. But he's still just, as you say, just thinks it's enough to deal decently with everyone who presents themselves to him. And that looks pretty bad in retrospect. And that's before you get to... Uh, the fact that he, in fact, helped prepare a list of hostages to be executed, which the court does not know. It knows in the case of Servier, but it doesn't, it sort of suspects, but does not know in the case of Danielle. Um, you know, he's a, he's, he's a good person, but a bad guy at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that list, actually, really quickly, because I remember when the list episodes happened, I kind of said to people, this is going to be important, like, pay attention to it, because I remember when I watched it the first time, and I tended to, when you watch the list situation play out early on, you really are, or I, I am, 
you're on the side of, okay, you've seen them get a mandate from the Germans that they have to do this and that all of their energy, especially Larchet's, right? Like Servier's energy is a little more servile and, you know, perfunctory, but Daniel's really trying to figure out how to get as few people on this list as possible. Like he is triaging this situation and Servier is too. Like they are, you know, he's kind of being pulled along morally by Daniel, but they're both making an effort to figure out how they make the number of people being executed as small as possible. And ultimately they're also trying to kind of get people off the list that they know who they believe are good people. Or who are their nephews. Or who are their nephews, which, um, uh, is is interesting now because we have the nephew back in the mix here as the leader of the black market sort of ring. Um, interestingly, he was that guy is also the lover of the guy that Schwartz killed in season two ish or one ish. I can't remember. Um, so the list. So we we I think uh, you know as Servier is like going down because of this list. I just remember thinking like. That was actually one of his better moments. Like the thing that is the thing that is in retrospect, they're being judged for like you condemned 10 people. And this is where the sort of hindsight 2020 morality of it is. How could you like you murdered these people? Like this is first degree murder on your part, which is definitely not how it looks when it's happening. Right. Well, I think when we discussed this in real time, um i i saw it as pretty bad um understandable but pretty bad i'd have to go back to our conversation about it um at the time but look this is was a pattern that the germans engaged in all over the place uh you know forcing the jewish communities to decide which order people got deported in, right? Um, forcing uh, local communities to cho- to choose the hostages to got to get shot in the event of non-compliance. Um, they uh, they did that everywhere they went, and everywhere that people participated in it, um, they they may have saved some lives, they also implicated themselves in the murders. And, you know, there was a, uh, I recently heard us, the, the current, a current minister of, in the Israeli government is the granddaughter of a Hungarian uh, Jewish community leader who was, involved in saving a trainload of people uh, and negotiations with the Germans to do that uh, and is was murdered later in Israel for collaboration in a fashion that if, you know, when you go into the details of the story is weirdly similar to what Servier and Larcher are accused of. And he was murdered as a, as a collaborator. Um, the, um, I, I guess I think Servier has a defense. The question was not whether 10 people are going to be killed. The question is whether 20 people are going to be killed. We brought it down to 10. Um, who were you 
Mr. Judge and Mr. Prosecutor, who were judges and prosecutors during Vichy, by the way, uh, who were you to, to, to judge us? It's a legit question. On the other hand, if, if you line up 20 people and say to me, uh, I'm going to shoot all 20 unless you tell me which 10 to shoot, and I tell you shoot him, 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 and her, I'm an accessory to their murder. I mean, there's, there's, you know, and, and you can say it was, I mean, it seems to me the defense should be it was under duress and the threat that they would kill more people and that that's a mitigating circumstance. And I, I think a very legitimately mitigating circumstance. I don't think it makes you innocent. That's interesting. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, like, I am actually, like, to me, Servier is guilty because Servier never questioned morally what he was doing. And at every turn, he rounded people up. He put them on trains. He was, he was, ha- he was a happy collaborator. He was a tool uh, and, a, and a useful idiot for um, what the Germans were doing. And, uh, and he went along, and at every turn, he did whatever was best for himself in his career. And so I judge Servier extremely harshly. The list to me is not high up on their list of offenses. And I'm not sure, right? Like they were, the, the, the Germans were doing this. The Germans were killing people. And Servier, I, I like, I, I buy the argument that they didn't kill 10 people. They saved 10 lives. I believe that. Um, and I, again, with, I think where, where he, what he's culpable for is that somebody he put somebody on that list and spared his criminal nephew. So that that is that is a, but just but just the idea of they're telling you you have to shoot twenty people and so instead you find you know ten um, and I, like that makes you an accessory. I don't know if I agree with that. Like you're an accessory for bigger reasons, but. Uh, not necessarily in, for that specifically. Let me put it this way. If they weren't trying to make Servier an accessory and and implicate him in their conduct, they would have just chosen 10 themselves. They want to get the French officials involved. They want to... They want to make sure everybody has dirty hands and you know the the right answer which larche started with by the way was all right i'll give you a list of 20 hostages name on the top danielle larche that's yep. the right answer and yep. uh and you know to insist okay if you're you know if you're a political leader and you're going to make me choose who to shoot. I'm going to make this as freaking difficult for you as possible. List all the people who collaborate: Servier, Larche, you know, the mill owner at the time, who's a collaborator, who the concrete factory, who you need, uh, Raymond Schwartz, his wife, who like these are the people. Like you have to shoot the people who were most useful to you. That's the right answer. They never like Larche did it for a minute, and um, uh, they didn't, you know, 
he lets himself be talked out of it. Uh, that's true. I mean, you're you're right that there's um, the the moral obligation for Daniel and everybody this whole time, right, is to have to have done more to say this is wrong. I, I completely agree with that. I guess I don't know. I guess I just uh, in terms of what I feel like they're they should be judged for. I guess one of the just to argue against myself and to argue with you for a minute, one of the things that they're accused of by the prosecutor that is true is that they ultimately end up executing all of these communists, right? These political pe people that they that were out of favor politically. That is who they ultimately put in. Um and there was a there was a purposeness to that, right? Like Daniel and Serviet didn't like the communists. They were sort of uh, found them politically uh, distasteful. And so they they did choose a block of people, a specific block that they felt like were, were more expendable. Yeah. Um, and the prosecutor, uh, you know, rightly points out that they're, uh, that the list of people that they put on that list is a list that is convenient to them. Um, he doesn't know that they remove people from the list who they want to protect. Um, but he does notice that they put people on the list who, you know, and Servier makes a remark about this at the time, like they're just communists. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think like if you're, if you're using the op the opportunity or the the agony of creating a list of people for the Germans to kill to protect your nephew and kill political enemies, I I do think that's something that you have to answer for later. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to I want to move on to some other. Uh... So but wait, can we can we come down on a on a uh, agreement or a, like? what we think the right answer is on Danielle Larche and Servier. Yeah. Like, so, like if uh, you're a juror in that case, mm -hmm. what do you do with them? Yeah. I mean, Servier should die. Like Servier gets capital punishment. He sent, he willingly sent a great many people to their deaths uh, without particular reservation. Um, and, so I, I just, I think I, I, he is guilty. Uh, I, I don't know that I, again, I don't, the list is not, uh, well, actually him saving his, his nephew is enough. Him swapping out, you know, for, um, his criminal nephew for somebody else is enough, I think. But I, I, I but I do not think that Daniel deserves to die. I basically agree with that. I think Danielle is much less culpable than Servier, partly because he does quit and, um, and he's, you know, Servier's bitter end, bitter endedness is, uh, is really a problem for him morally. Um, I don't think Danielle is innocent. Uh, and I think, you know, some kind of like lesser punishment is appropriate for him. But I, I definitely don't think he's somebody who deserves to be hanged or shot. Especially because, you know, there's, there's judging them in a vacuum, right. Just sort of isolated in their cases. And then there's judging them as you watch 
how other people are treated, right? So they have this little meeting for Janine uh, to uh, assess her culpability as a collaborator. She has uh, she has taken back her maiden name, uh, her father's name, who is now a a zealous Gaullist, uh, and and so you know, and Schwartz, who is one of the it's not a jury trial. It's like a, some kind of council. Like illustration panel or something. Yeah. And Schwartz is like, I think she should get a, what, what is it that she gets? Like a warning? Reprimand. <laughs> a reprimand. <laughs> uh, like a, like a, like a verbal, s- very soft slap on the wrist. Uh, and she's thrilled. She's thrilled because Janine is a like death sentence. Right. Like I would my judgment on Janine is that she dies for uh, the cap is is capital for what she did. What about you? And What specifically do you mean by that? So Um, she uh, is it the alliance with Shasanya? Is it uh, like what is it that Janine did that that you react to that way other than what you know about her attitudes? Yeah, I mean, look, I could go as far back as the um, the way that she talked uh, to Lucien during the cake, the way she talked to the Jew, uh, the Jewish woman, Cohn's wife, during the cake debate. Um, you know, she is uh, a vile, anti-Semitic person who um, I think gets Sarah Meyer. Uh, I mean, we don't know what's happened to Sarah Meyer, but she gets her, you know, taken. Um, she has no regard for any other person. She collaborates zealously. She provides all kinds of things to the Germans. Uh, and you know, I think she's a, she is a high level collaborator. And then she, and then she, she did all kinds of things with Chisanya that were, and I mean, she was a final solution, um, type person and her, her, her shift right now to, capitalist uh american loving capitalist uh is all the more reason to see that she is devoid of any kind of moral compass and i loathe her agreed entirely with the single caveat that i think a lot of her attitudes are not uh you know nobody got punished after the war for having been anti-Semites. They got punished after the war. Like, the things that she did were, um, uh, you know, her public acts, uh, the alignment with Shasan, her, um, her, um, uh, the the most important is her active business collaboration with the occupying forces, which goes on late um, and does not end when Schwartz's does. Um, You know, she just gives money to Anselm and Marie by way of buying herself an insurance policy. And, you you know, I, I think she is pretty damn bad actually very bad i mean like and there's things like her diming out uh hortense even though hortense is also a bad guy um but like we we know right so they she uses that as a um when she the two things that she does the one is where she issues the warning 
uh, about the spy in the midst of the resistance and where she gives the money to Schwartz. Both of them are done in service to her own ends, right? She was it. She was at risk uh, by that, that, um, the spy being in there. And the reason, and she, she bought like the mill from Schwartz or something like to give him the money. Like it was an exchange. Um, so it wasn't like a donation. She, she purchased something from him. And as I recall, uh, at a significantly lower price than she had originally been negotiating for because the circumstance changed in some way. So, um, she is, uh, bad through and through. And, and I've got, uh, I would, I, it is, it is, uh, I hate seeing her, walk free and i hate seeing schwartz abet that since he clearly loathes her and sees her clearly too agreed on all points i will say that if you had to make the case the legal case like you're not allowed to use anything that we know about her that isn't public right Mm -hmm. uh the case basically amounts to like you can't indict her for marrying shasanya um, so like, what is the case? The case is basically that she did business with the Germans. Um, she actually, this is like where I get pretty inconsistent. She actually strikes me as a pretty good candidate for mob justice. That is like, if Ansalm walked up to her in the street and shot her, hmm. that wouldn't seem all that bad to me. Yeah. Um, in the context of a kind of revolutionary justice situation. And like, she certainly deserved more in public than a slap on the wrist, but I'm not sure she has like enough individual blood on her individual hands to be like a, a particularly strong candidate for, for being like tried and, and shot as a collaborator. Yeah. Okay, I t- I'd take that. I would I would I would not shed any tears if she was shot in the street. Although I do have I want to not have to see any of the vigilante justice because I hate it. Um, but not shedding tears over Janine. Okay, let's go to Barrio. Um, and 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 this is actually actually while we're sort of transitioning from Janine to Barrio, I will just say for Lucienne, right? So this is where um, Janine. Uh, to me is a, is a, is a good case for, like you just said. So like if somebody shot her, she would be okay. I would not feel that way about Lucienne. And this is like Janine does this, Janine does this thing when she does the affirmative good for the resistance, she does it for herself, uh, and for totally selfish reasons. Lucienne to me is a sort of sad victim of circumstance who fell in love with somebody and who did an incredibly brave one-time shot, you know, helping the resistance in a really important thing. And she did it and, and put herself at great risk because she just, she was, she wanted to, she kind of wanted to get in there and do something. And, uh, so I give, I put Lucienne in a totally different category and I actually find the way Barrio is treating her at this point to be, uh, you know, it's a wild ride with Barrio uh, through the through the seasons. But uh, I re- remember, if you remember when I was saying how I didn't like him at the beginning, and then you go through this part where you know he's he's really great, and 
but I one of the reasons I think I I was so down on him in the beginning and is I was I'm with the this Barrio that we're seeing now is um I mean Lucien calls him a monster uh which might be which might be a step too far considering what he is having to stomach uh from her but it's but he's being pretty bad yeah so I <sighs> I guess I feel more harshly toward Lucienne and therefore a little bit less harshly toward Berio than you do. So let's, I agree with you entirely about Lucienne's public posture. That is, her, her collaboration, such as it was, was falling in love with an individual German soldier. Uh, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And she didn't do anything for the Germans. She's not like she's a, she's not like Hortense, right? Who is, uh, you know, ratting people out, including her own brother-in-law. Um, uh, she's not, you know, she's not, you know, she's just in love with Kurt. And, um, and, so I don't actually have a big problem with Lucienne as a public matter, uh, like like her, uh, you know, as a collaborationist matter. She does, as you say, do an incredibly brave thing, uh, though it's not in her nature. Um, you know, she's not a, you know, like lining up to do brave things <laughs> through the show. But I think Berio's complaint against her is super justified. Um, hmm. So let's review the interpersonal bidding. Her lover leaves and gets uh, sent to the front. He knowingly, knowing that it's sent to the Eastern Front, knowing that she's pregnant with somebody else's, uh, a German soldier's child, no less, uh, he uh, uh, offers her a really good deal. You will not have your head shaved um, uh, and be paraded through the streets. Instead, you will be the very respectable uh, wife of the school principal. You will continue your job. Your child will be legitimate. Uh, and all you have to do is be my wife. You don't even have to love me, really. Just be my wife. And because I love you that much. And there is nothing in this deal for Berio except a combination of really loving her and being protective uh, and wanting her to marry him. She agrees to this with her eyes open. She then brings the mummy, smuggles the mummy into the house. She dotes on the mummy in a fashion that is really quite cruel to him, given how much he loves her. It endangers him. You know, he's now harboring a German soldier in his house as the you know, as the acting prefect while De Caverne has been shot. Uh, he is, uh, when Kurt dies, and granted he kills Kurt, but let's leave that aside for a minute, uh, 
he arranges for her a very respectable burial arrangement. And all he really asks is that she not do things in a way that is going to be destructive of his public life, which she then proceeds to do. Um, And I think, you know, his, like, she has humiliated him interpersonally in a fashion that he has absorbed with a fair bit of grace. She, um, uh, and then she really threatens to destroy his public standing. Um, and I, I think his anger at her is very justified. Okay. Uh, well, you put a pin in kind of a biggie in my mind, which is that he smothers uh, Kurt to death. I did which, put a pin in that one. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't know that we, we can just... Have our we can, bad moments. I'm not sure we can just breeze over that one. Well, could uh, we ask him to do it, to be fair? You know, I just, as I said before, I think he ought to have just, like, double-checked back in and been agreed. like, is this like, still, is not this still how you're moment. feeling? Not, I agree. Uh, hey, relationship advice, people. When when your uh, spouse's uh, lover asks you to kill them, uh, best practices is always double check before you grant the request. Double check. It's, if you've given it a few days, check back in. Okay. Here, let me, I'm going to make a brief pitch for Lucien's sadness and like what I, why I feel for her and, and why I think, you know, when you, obviously never been in this situation, but let's just assume that you're the person who loves, you are in love and he loves her and she is with him and he gets that. She doesn't love him. It is, it is a, and, and I think that there is a tendency to say, well, like, but he's bailing her out and it's so, he's so nice and it's so great of him and chivalrous or whatever to take care of her, you know, bastard child of the German soldier. Okay. But she doesn't love him. And so for her, she is trapped in uh, with a guy. It's funny when she calls him sort of fat in like one of the earlier episodes here because he's been uh, and and like she just she doesn't love she doesn't like him. She doesn't like being around him and she has to be. And he has all the power and all the control because of his standing and he can do things to her. So part of what I and part of why I'm indicting him in these three episodes even after killing Kurt, uh, which, you know, that's a complicated one, but he is, he is trying to take away, like, you know, she wants to keep working. It's like the one thing she has, she loves being around these kids. Um, he is trying to deprive her of that. There are extenuating circumstances, but he absolutely is prizing his own standing over any kind of happiness for her. And then he does this, like, you will cook my chicken and you better not screw it up. And and he and he and he does it while blackmailing her with the information about the German soldier. And so with which you know, he is also being blackmailed. Yeah. And um, so uh is he a monster as she accuses him? You know, I think that there's, you know, she she's a she's a tough, she's a tough one. She, there's a lot to to swallow there on her, but like I have I have a lot of sympathy for her. Okay, 
I I do not lack for sympathy with Lucienne. Uh, I agree with you. She is in her own very stupid way a, a, a sympathetic figure. I also agree that his anger has become cruel. I do think his anger is very justified. Um, so I'm not defending the specific um, measures that he takes or the specific things that he does at all. I I do think her expectation that, you know, she should be able to live a completely normal life and in which he will absorb in an ongoing way the consequences of her relationship with Kurt is completely unreasonable. And, you know, she wants to go visit Kurt's grave on a regular basis uh, and put flowers there. This makes it impossible for him to live his life. Um, and he becomes vulnerable to this blackmail that, you know, that is a, a function entirely of her behavior. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, he never signed up to have Kurt, you know, rasping and gasping away in their house. Um, he's, and so like, while I agree with you that, she uh she is a you know she never loved him and that was kind of understood to be part of the deal i don't think she can be said to have honored their deal mm. and and i i think you know he came back she was barely you know she clearly would have rathered that he be dead like, I don't think he deserved that from her. Um, and so I think he feels like she betrayed him on a number of occasions in, in very important ways. And then he has to absorb the cost of her betrayal, not merely suffer the betrayal, but also suffer the blackmail for the betrayal. And so he's trying to, you know, he's basically saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not being the one responsible for this anymore. You know, if you don't keep this, if, if you don't observe our deal, you're going to be the one who's, you know, who absorbs the consequences. And I don't defend the cruelty, um, but I do think her basic position is completely unreasonable. Okay, we have to move on from that. I still think that uh, he never actually recognizes her humanity by assuming that just because he will give her this cover that, you know, she's gonna, that she she has to sort of shut up and like it. Because part of, part of what his eyes wide open was is that she did not love him or even particularly like him. But anyway... But I hear your point. There's lots of good stuff in there. I wanna, I, uh, I wanna go to Gustav and Lenore and Suzanne and Lario and that, um, that section of the story. One quick additional point on this: I think his understanding of their relationship was pretty similar to Servier's wife's understanding of their relationship. It's an arranged marriage, and Servier was like, 
yeah, but we didn't ever love each other. And she's like, yeah, but that's who gives a shit about that. And being together, you, you, you know, she says something like, they say you can't love somebody without being, uh, you can't be together without loving somebody. It's actually the other way around. And I think that's the way Barrio understood their relationship. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I tell you, I love that scene between Servier and his wife. Servier's wife is, is she makes very few appearances in the show and they are all memorable. They are. This, the way that they, what do they call each other? Like my friend? Like they refer to each other as like my friend. Uh, and it's, you know, there's something honest and um, I, I just, I there's something, I don't know. I sort of, I, obviously there's nothing romantic about the relationship. I still like it. I still like it. She shows she is like pragmatic very, to the end. She's very concerned that he's going to get executed and she wants him to finger Larche to avoid it. I, it seems totally reasonable. All right. Let's go on to uh, my new favorite character, Leonore. Let's do it. Okay. So, uh, you know, we have, as you may recall, Suzanne some ostensibly had two children at some point early in the show. Uh, but th- this girl is the only one who ever showed up. So if there's another one, we've never, never met him or her. Uh, but but Lenore is all grown up and finds uh, bad boy Gustav uh, kind of dreamy. How old do you think she's supposed to be? Uh, I would say they're both 15-ish. Maybe 16. All right. So how old do you think she is? Like, I sort of thought, like, maybe she's 14 and he's 16. Yeah, that could be. Gustav's age has been a little bit, because he starts off as seven or eight, and it's only been five years. So he should be 13, but he seems older than 13. Mm -hmm. No, he's definitely older than 13 now. I think he is minimum 15. But actually, seven at the beginning of the show. Well, now that you mention it, actually, how many years have passed? Well, the show starts in 40 and we're now in 45. So, you know, it he should be 11, if he was seven or eight, he should be 13 or 14. But he doesn't look 13 or 14. I mean, yeah, 14 is it's tough to get to be run in the black market, like mobbed up at 14. Um, you know, you're right, I'm though. Looking if like we, a chimney. He's smoking like a chimney. I know. Uh, I, I, I think you're right that if we're doing the math correctly, that we're putting them at like thirteen, fourteen. Um, my, here's my guess: the the amount of time that has passed uh, on the show is not exactly commensurate with the amount of time that's passed on filming. And so uh, he is he is probably a teenager for real in real life, and uh, is meant to be playing somebody a bit younger on the show. I think that's probably right. I also think we can give the show a little bit of a pass here and say that Gustav has aged more than his years, kind of like his uncle. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, it's, I actually think the actress for Lenore has been consistent too. Like, I think that's the same kid. And so, you know, the fact that the show found very young kids and like kept them the whole time. Like we've really watched Gustav grow up for real. And so I, I, they get, they get points for that. They can't all, it can't all measure up exactly. Um, But what do you, what do you, it's, it's interesting to see like Suzanne is now fully um, shacked up with Lario uh, and they seem happy. Uh, And, and, and they are, 
raising Lenore together, it appears. And, uh, and, and Suzanne is taking a, I think a healthy and decent interest in trying to, to help Gustav. Yes. She tries to help Gustav, although when she sees his police report, she's appalled at how bad he is, um, which we kind of know. Um, she is, um, but so I think the really endearing thing about this um, is how much her daughter resembles her in behavior from earlier in the show. So Suzanne is the free spirit who, you know, kind of defies what she's supposed to do to, uh, hook up with Larche and start doing in more ways than one and start doing resistance stuff very early and kind of defies the party in order to, to do it. Right. And now what is her daughter doing? Well, she's of course a good communist, but she uh, hooks up uh, with a Larche um, uh, in a kind of, who's being a bad boy and of kind of free spirited defy your mother kind of way. Uh, when he's, she knows he's not a, a communist. He's a, he's a, you know, a, a crook, a petty, a petty thief. Um, and so she's like this, this wonderful uh, kind of mini me of where her mother was five or six years earlier and I thought that was, and and she is also, we learn in the church, quite the student of her mother and Marcel Larcher's exploits, you know, where they kissed first for, uh, for real and for show and for, you know, and so she's kind of either consciously or subconsciously modeling her own rebellion on her mother's, who, of course wants her to stay away from that bad boy, Gustav, uh, who, of course, then turns out to be a really bad boy. I got to think that that's a translation issue, that it's got it. He must say bad guy. <laughs> what kind of 15 year olds like I'm a bad boy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but that made me it made me laugh. The subtitles. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I the thing about Gustav too is it's a it's a breaking bad type situation where you can just sort of see um the cascading effects of growing up during the war without his mother and then ultimately without his father but it's it is nice you know he gets this book suzanne gives him this this sort of notebook that's filled with the 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 musings and political um i don't know just writings of his dad uh and uh, you can see how that's an incredible gift to a kid that age. Um, and it's, it's, it seems like Suzanne could have a really good impact on Gustav. Uh, but just when you think that she might, he, he goes ahead and gets up the gumption to shoot this American soldier, which I can't imagine shooting U.S. soldiers goes over great uh, in post-war France. Seems, seems like that would be bad. Yeah, I mean, Gustav buys himself a world of hurt here. And of course we know that that soldier is dirty as hell. Um, but you know, he 
does walk up to him in front of a bunch of people and kill him in cold blood. And I can't imagine that that's going to work out well for him. Um, yes. Okay. So I, we, we're, we're going to, because we did three episodes where our pacing's off. So we're like, it's, everything's taking long. So I do want to just hit before we've got a couple of, uh, I mean, Hortense, I want to yeah, just spend a few minutes on Hortense. Yeah, Hortense and this like reappearance of mustachioed Muller. Uh, but but let's start with Hortense um, and how you know the the sort of psychic break that she seems to be experiencing. So I have to say that the conversion of Hortense into Lady Macbeth, you know, the sort of madness, did not. I did not find persuasive, actually. Yeah. And I think if you are that reptilian uh, and in love with evil as she is, um, I don't know that I believe that you, you know, suddenly are worried about everybody listening to them talk about you I mean, this is the same woman who did a portrait exhibition of her portraits of herself. Um, you know, so I don't know that I found it all that persuasive. I, I, I do think the reappearance of Mueller was quite wonderful. I loved his testimony at the trial um, and his very casually having uh, ingratiated himself to the Americans um, with um, uh, and in, up to and including being married to one of their daughters um, is, uh, I would say, not wholly unrealistic. Um, there are, there were, you know, SS people who managed that there, I, I don't know about the marriage part, but certainly the, uh, the becoming essential for intelligence reasons. Um, I don't know of any SS war criminals who, who pulled that off. Um, but there were certainly people, you know, of course, most famously the, the rocket scientists who, but also some intelligence people who, you know, made themselves essential to either the Russians and became East German, you know, uh, secret police of one sort, or uh, made themselves very useful to the Americans and became part of either the West German regime or, uh, you know, I don't know that a lot of them were involved in mass atrocities the way that Mueller was. That said, you know, once again, the actor pulls it off brilliantly. Uh, he is charming and horrifying and, um, and absolutely my favorite performance in the show and uh, sets up the final uh, collapse of, of Berio's credibility because he shows up they give guarantees that he will be able to return because he's now an American boy, a notionally a prisoner, but in fact working with them. 
And then the French police come and arrest him. Yeah. So uh, I have to separate out in these scenes my the difference between how much I am enjoying seeing him again, and he's amazing in the testimony, love seeing him, to how unrealistic I find it that he goes to a French restaurant with Hortense in the same town where he was the SS agent. And he, at this point, he's just like, well, I got a little thin fake mustache and like, <laughs> and glasses. Like, what is, what is this? What is, what is this? That he could just dine and tibble champagne uh, in the town where he was most recently uh, like uh, executing everybody. I don't think so. Um, so I found that part Agreed. actually stupid. Um, and I, I, but I will tell you, I actually, Especially I, because people know that, you know, they know that he tr- just testified in the trial. And so there wouldn't be any secrecy associated with his presence there. Yeah. And like, and Hortense, like Hortense herself, high profile individual in the town known for this. Here's, here's what I, so that part, um, I, I was like actively irritated by. And then, so on the flip side, I, but I enjoy those scenes because I love seeing him. I do not enjoy the Hortense going crazy scenes. And yet I do find that more realistic. And I'll tell you why. A, because when you've put yourself up on such a high pedestal, it can be a long fall down. And I think that the scene, the Janine betrayal, which leads to months of what must be uh, agonizing anxiety over how you will be judged and then being ripped, like pulled into the town square and having your nephew and the entire town jeer at you while you're on your knees and they cut all your hair off. Um, while at the same time, the person that you love in the most, you know, I mean, you don't doubt her love as sick and depraved as it might be. She's deeply in love. And that person is gone gone away missing she has no idea what what's going on with him to me the idea that she becomes obsessed with the idea that people are talking about her and looking at her everywhere she goes actually seems totally credible um what which is all the more reason why the idea that she's just going to a restaurant with Mueller, uh you know is just doesn't doesn't fly with me but that paranoia um and shame and heartbreak and all of that seems to me to be pretty ripe for a mental episode. I guess I she has not shown previous signs of obsessive compulsive behaviors in the prior part of the show, any part prior part of the show. I mean, if she were the parts where she's sort of catatonically depressed, I find okay like very plausible. She she tried to commit suicide at one point. That's true. Um, I guess I'm not sure that I feel like Hortense has been the picture of mental health through the show. You know, being, having an affair with Mueller does not reflect the picture (laughs) of mental health. Um, Yeah, no, she's definitely uh, having a rough time of it. Um, She also does not seem to care much about her husband's trial. Except, of course, that it's humiliating for her because she has to go testify about why he was listed on that, on that as a German uh, uh, police informant. Um, yeah. So, who else do we need to? Do? So, so I, I want to just hit. So, that's really Schwartz and Antoine. So, Antoine oh, returns yeah. from the war. He's seen. Uh, as as he's seen a lot of tough things in the resistance, he saw a lot of tough things in the war. Um, 
he comes home and uh, to his great delight, his wife has been, or his, his not wife, but his semi-fiance that he proposed to before leaving, Alban's sister, uh, whose name is escaping me. Um, Genevieve. Genevieve, thank you. Um, you know, he comes back to the farm where she lives with her grandmother, who is a delightful addition as a character, uh, this, this cranky grandmother. Cranky uh, grandmother who's like all in on the militia a year after the fact. Um, yeah, I mean this, and this is, this is such a good and true thing about life, right? Where you've got this, all she cares about is like, these were her, her son, like her grandson, her son, uh, people who behaved horribly, but they were her family. Who knows what kind of retrograde position she holds, but because she's clearly is like 85 years old and dying of cancer, uh, you know, you have this tendency to like forgive old people, their retrograde opinions. Uh, and even and on some, you know, he, she feeds him soup and he's, grouchy because she's um because she's a fascist uh and his only way of expressing that is by uh being less than fulsome in praise of the soup yes uh exactly um and and so antoine uh doesn't want to work on the farm but he does want to be with genevieve he needs to find a job Nobody's hiring. He thinks that having led the parade and the resistance is going to automatically qualify him for some kind of cush job. And he is sorely mistaken uh, when he comes back to town, which I think is an interesting dynamic uh, of these episodes around the resistance members, including Ensemble, who he runs into, who's drunk on a bench and homeless. Uh, you know, they're not faring well. And the people who kind of show back up, like De Cavern and Barrio. Like, they're running things now. And they were, of course, part of the resistance. They were, of course, doing good, important work. But they weren't kind of the on the ground, uh, putting their life on the line every day the way that Antoine was and Suzanne. Um, so this is a really important, you know, point. Uh, and it's one of the huge tensions in the resistance, particularly, uh, you know, after the war, uh, de Gaulle was based in London for the war and the people who, uh, and eventually moves, uh, you know, like fr French North Africa becomes, uh, free French. Um, and, but they're not in France under occupation and the big figures, a lot of big figures of the resistance actually, we're not there, right? And the show depicts that Barrio disappears for a while, shows up in North Africa at some point. De Caverne, same thing. Um, and these are these people thought of themselves as the leadership, uh, and a lot of people on the ground uh, thought of them as absentee landlords, and you know uh, they thought of themselves as um, you know the people who were you know, camped out in these, you know, forests, you know, uh, and actually doing fighting, um, thought of themselves as the leadership of the resistance. And when, the, when de Gaulle, de Gaulle swept back in, he brought his own leadership and there was a lot of tension between the, uh, the De Cavernes and the Ensembles, right? Like, 
who who is the authentic resistance? It is is it the people on the ground? Is it the you know the leadership who maintained a government in exile and frankly funded all those people on the ground and you know and maintained relations with Winston Churchill uh, often very tense uh, and so they played different functions and then you know you come back and who's in charge is it the Ansalms and and Antoines or is it the Decavernes and Berrios? Yeah, and it's clearly the day of Vern's and Berrios. Like, Anselm at this point is an alcoholic sleeping on a bench, and uh, and Antoine can't get a job as a cop uh, or or anything else. Um, now, you know, Suzanne and Edmund uh, and some of the commies are like a, they're an institutional part of the government, um, and they have real roles. But everybody has, right, no one's living in the woods anymore. These people have offices. They're having lunches. There, there is a process. The court, ca- the court cases are not just people, you know, ringing bells. There's an actual judge and prosecutors and defense attorneys and rules and objections. Uh, and as society reconstitutes itself into something that has form, a lot of the people who did the guerrilla warfare and did a lot of the heavy lifting, gave their lives or or put their lives on the line. They get left behind in these scenarios because they don't look very good in a suit. And the people who navigate it really well, the show intimates in these episodes, maybe the people who have a foot in both worlds. So the like the suggestion, you know, at the end of the episodes, they come to Raymond Schwartz and ask him, you know, can you run for mayor? Because Barrio is out because of you know, between Lars, the, between the, uh, Larche trial and the Lucienne stuff, he's in pretty bad standing. Um, but you know, who's the guy who can bridge all these gaps? Uh, well, between the Gaullists and the, uh, and the London faction and the on the ground people, you know, Raymond Schwartz is looking pretty good. And by the way, Antoine is right by his side, which is actually suggests to me that uh, Antoine may have a future. I think that's right. I think, you know, the, the part where Antoine goes to Schwartz to borrow the money to pay for chemotherapy for the grandmother and in the course of that negotiation basically comes back to working for Schwartz Uh, and by the end of the third episode, we see him kind of in the office doing the books, wearing a tie, uh, you know, trying to build a life for himself. Um, but he also takes on Solomon, uh, which is nice, uh, and gives him uh, a bit of a purpose. Uh, and I just, it just all, all of that felt very true to me. And I think you see this maybe from a lot of people coming back from war where the war was right. It took, it took, you needed people like that. You needed people like Anselm who were going to devote themselves zealously to the resistance. Uh, but, you know, you get addicted to it. And then sometimes it can be hard to readjust to the new thing. Um, anyway, I think with that, I think we have to leave it there. Really long, long episode. I guess this is what happens when you do when you do uh, three episodes at once. Um, but I'm excited for the back, back half of this. Uh, I think a lot of justice is coming. Also, I will uh, just tease this now. I was going to do this this episode. I won't because we've run over, but I will do it next episode. 
I have found the historical event on which the scene with the uh, parade is actually based. Um, and uh, back from the resistance hiding in the forest, marching into Villeneuve, uh, uh, I have found the underlying factual basis for that scene, which turns out to be somewhat under-dramatizing what really happened in, in a little town. Huh. Okay, well, we'll start with that next time. Uh, until then, we're going to do the, the, the next three episodes, uh, and we'll be back next week to talk about them. And until then, Edith, take us home. Nous, nous Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.